A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Our country's fragility is so clear this week as we experience a devastating hurricane and continued social tensions. We discuss that fragility and our collective resilience in this week's episode of The Briefcase. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. say we dive in we got a lot to cover this week beth we sure do so before we start talking about hurricane harvey we wanted to send so much love and resilience to the people of india bangladesh and nepal more than a thousand people have been killed by the flooding there many 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 are still missing there are millions of homes that have been destroyed or damaged and that area of the world doesn't um, have the greatest infrastructure already. And so the suffering is um, definitely multiplied. And we just wanted to send um, our thoughts. I know it, uh, that's become a cliche thing to say, but we wanted to recognize the suffering on that side of the world. And we want to do more than send thoughts to the people of Texas and Louisiana and everyone impacted by Hurricane Harvey. So as you might have seen on our social media channels, Pantsuit Politics, small an organization as we are, we are trying to do our part in the world. And if you 
donate to the Red Cross or another organization helping with hurricane relief and just send us confirmation of your donation, we will match that donation up to $1,000 total. And it's really been heartwarming to see listeners seeing that on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and stepping up and that we hope you'll consider contributing as well. So I sat in my car this morning and just cried at the coverage of Harvey and the the story of the toddler clinging to his mother. Oh, man, it's just tearing me apart. So I just thought I would get the tears out of the way as quickly as possible. I had a little moment like that, too, from a video I saw of a man playing his piano as water was up to almost his knees sitting on the piano bench. And just, I don't know what it was about that particular image. There have been so many and they're all so impactful, but it made me think about what it must be like to just look at everything you have and in a very slow way have to see it go. I I think that's just devastating to think about. And one of our listeners um, from, is it Port, was it Port Arthur, Beth? I got the port right, right? I think that's right. Yeah. She uh, messaged us with just sort of an amazing check-in, and we're going to include it um, in our weekly email about her town and watching her dentist on CNN rescuing people from a nursing home, and her mayor famously Facebook Live from the rising waters in his house, and... You know, there's been a lot of positive stories. The, you know, the Cajun Navy going from Louisiana to come help um, in Houston. And I, the sort of moment I had just, just a minute ago, actually, is watching people's reaction to these stories. And I think watching our reactions anytime that in America there's a big natural disaster and the desperation people feel to help or do something concrete. And I wish that we could tie those moments together and take them with us. Because the truth is, the people in the Cajun, some of the people in the Cajun Nation or the Cajun Navy, some of the people in Houston who we see and we weep over are the same people we feel so alienated from the rest of the time. Those are people who voted differently than they did. We did. Those are people who... Maybe in any other day of the week, we would feel are so different from us and politically opposed to us and, you know, sort of the problem. And I wish that, and I guess my prayer is that we can take what we feel towards those people now, you know, and carry it with us and remember that we are all Americans. And, you know, no matter how angry you are at someone because of their political beliefs, If you saw them on the roof of the car and you had a boat, you would save them because we're human beings and we're Americans and we're in this together. And I just wish we could take that resilience and the love we feel for people in these disasters and, you know, keep it with us long after it's over and our desire to help and our our shared humanity and our shared purpose. And I'm just feeling all the feelings clearly. I just want to let your feelings breathe for a second because <laughs> because I, I feel the same way and I think that lots of people do. And another thing that this has caused me to think about is how when something like this happens that's so visual and, and we have a media environment where we can really see these pictures, that photo essay from the New York Times just, you know, was crushing to look at. I wish that we could channel the compassion and the outreach that we feel around this kind of suffering to other types of suffering that are less obvious and that are going around, uh, that are going on around us all the time. 
And I think that sense of alienation that lots of us feel along different layers of our lives would be remedied if we could just kind of keep the softness that we have right now. I mean, it feels like right now people are are looking for ways to help. Like you said, there's kind of a desperate sense of, gosh, I've got to do something. And what would it be like if we walked around and reacted to each other's slights or coldness or, you know, whatever we're picking up with a sense of, I wonder how I could help with this. Or or even I just, I wonder what's happening there. Yeah. I think another way in which Harvey is reflective of sort of big cultural and societal issues we've talked a lot about on this show is the conversation sort of currently happening around um, decisions that led us here. Um, decisions that either through the government or um, related to climate change that got Houston to where it is right now. The um, the Daily did a really great story this morning. We're recording on Thursday about Houston. And I think there was a part of me that that had put Houston in the sort of this is because of climate change and and, um, sort of non-responsiveness to climate change, which I do think is part of the story, but they did a good job of saying like Houston has had flooding since they built Houston because of its geographic location. Yeah. I was thinking about the chemical plant explosion that occurred last night. And while we were in South Carolina, we had a discussion um, with our boat tour guide about the location of a chemical plant um, that's between Charleston and Savannah. And he was telling us about the specifics of the location they chose for that plant and how dangerous it would be if the water rose too high on either side from the mm. Charleston or Savannah direction. And having heard that and then seeing this news, it just made me think so much about the critical importance of things that sound so mundane, like city planning and infrastructure and how whatever decisions in the past might be there that can be Monday morning quarterbacked or or fairly criticized going forward and knowing that we just will have more weather events mm-hmm. one way or another um how how rapidly can those technologies and that infrastructure evolve yeah i think that was the most encouraging sort of conversation i've heard which is you know, Houston put a man on the moon and Houston has a long history of sort of incredible engineering. And there's a sense that now they could adopt this as their problem or not adopt, just recognize like, okay, well now this is the next thing we need to engineer our way out of. And I think that that is, you know, that is a way to hope. And I, you know, but I also think that we need to face, I read a really great story on Politico that I posted this morning that said, you know, is this the this this the end of Texas's rugged individualism and this idea that like there's there are decades in front of Texas of accepting state and federal, particularly federal funding and federal aid. And, you know, we've talked about individualism on the show before. And, I you know, I we all love Texas's sort of bravado and reputation or, you know, Maybe, I don't know if lo- always love is the right word, but, um, you know, it is Texas's thing. And I think there's a space culturally for that. But I think, you know, on a societal level, individualism does not serve us very well. And this idea of, you know, we will, zone, we, Houston um, famously slash infamously has no zoning. And so this idea that like, we're just all on our own and we just have to go forth and um, the sort of libertarian streak of let's just do it all. Let's just, you know, everybody's property rights are, are 
sort of an island unto themselves. I think that that is something that we need to question and that is something we need to consider and how well that has served us and not, you know, not just in Houston or Texas, but all over the country. I will say that I think that is a conversation that we should have. I also just think we need to get people to safety first and just Mm -hmm. get through this. I'm so frustrated by the need, especially on social media, but also in some journalism to rush right to what are the long-term and short-term political lessons of what's happened here? I, I think I, I struggle with almost everything that is tangential to there are people who are worried about drowning. There are, what is it, 35 people now who've lost their lives in this mm-hmm. hurricane. And it's not even close to over. I just don't, I don't want to make this about anything right now other than I hate this and let's get people through it. And my goodness, look at the links people are going to, to help one another. And isn't that wonderful? So I was thinking about this a lot since you and I, um, in our Q and a last night for our patrons talked about Melania's heels and Joel Olstein's church, which were big sort of Twitter moments. Um, and I think where I've come down and now I've adopted your position, which is you be you, right? I think that there. We are a giant country and we are an even bigger Internet. And I think there is space for someone to say her heels bug me and here's why. Or Joel Osteen is I think Joel Osteen is a crook. Here's why. And I think why this represents it. And, you know, I think where we get into trouble is where we think everyone needs to weigh in or this is something (laughs) everyone needs to comment on. Or, you know, if you don't. Give a dish about Melania's heels. Good. Don't read it. Move on. If you do, I think that's fine, too, because I do think some important things have been said about, you know, just sort of as a person who thinks symbolism and celebrity is very important. Um, I think that there have been very interesting, insightful things said both about Melania's heels and Joel Olstein's church. So I think it's just, you know, you know, no one's saying that the people, anybody, particularly people like in Houston you know, evading floodwaters or in freaking evacuation buildings that then flood and they have to move somewhere else like a horror film need to talk. They don't need to talk about that. They don't care. and They don't need to. But I do think, you know, I think there's space again for everyone. And if that is some if that is a thing that interests you and you want to sort of think about it, I think that's fine. And I think that it moves important conversations forward. So I I guess that's I think I was thinking a lot about that. And I think there is space for that. I just think we always get into trouble because we think everyone has to take a position and they don't. No, it takes me back to that quote that maturity is realizing how many things don't require comment. Mm -hmm. And that's where I've been on some of the social media hurricane controversies. Just I don't I just don't want to get into this. I'm going to let it pass me by and I don't even have to have an emotional reaction to it. I did think you sent me an article, Sarah, about the swift and intense reaction to Joel Osteen as indicative of Americans feelings about evangelical Christianity right now. And I do think that's an interesting conversation. And I think that sort of the extremes of militant atheism and prosperity evangelicalism i mean that's that's all really interesting stuff to dig into i i wish we were digging into that in another context but there there are important things to be said and and certainly the way the president and the first lady handle this 
is is interesting and relevant. And and listen, by no means do I think that th- this is not a party thing for me. It is a personal thing. I fully mm-hmm. get that conservatives have said horrific things about natural disasters causes about about disasters causes generally and and tragic events and have been extremely critical of democratic presidents and their handling of things like this. So I just want to be clear that my sort of no comment feeling on a lot of that doesn't have anything to do with party. It's just a personal choice about where I'm going to give my energy. And do I feel that I'm contributing to the discussion in the way that is best for me to contribute to the discussion? Well, I think that before we move on, we should also talk about when you said sort of the political lessons. And I think that many, much of the political impact of Harvey is going to be seen on Capitol Hill immediately. I think many leaders on Capitol Hill would like time to process this, but they are not going to have it because there is much discussion about federal aid to Texas and how that's going to come through. And there seems to be a plan to package that aid together with raising the debt ceiling and funding the government, which is an interesting strategy and could work. I don't know. What do you think? I think all those things need to be done. I think the government needs to be funded. The The government should probably. You guys should do your job. Yeah. Unfortunately, funding the government right now just means raising the debt ceiling. It just does. Um, Even without the nonsense of paying for a border wall. I hate that we are in such a cynical era where people feel that the hurricane gives them something to package that politically mm. becomes irresistible. I wish Congress were functioning better than that. But um, if those things are able to get done quickly and well, hooray, I guess I'll take the victory where we can get it. Yeah, I think that I think it's a. I think it is, you know, I won't. It's hopeful, but I think maybe they have reason to be hopeful right now and that hopefully they can get together and get this very important stuff done and. I I mean, when they say sort of the president is so big on this border wall, I mean, I'm just not really sure, you know, if they get together and they do it, I'm not sure he has the political capital to stand in their way. No, I think that's right. And and I think he is. Well, who knows? I don't want to try to predict the president because (sighs) there it defies logic and reason. But look, if Congress, you know, the budget is the province of Congress. And we're going to talk more about that in an upcoming primer. (laughs) So I think um, let's let Congress do its job. And I do not think the president is going to be a big obstacle on that. I think he'll come out and slam Congress and say a bunch of asinine things on Twitter. Here I go predicting him when I said I wouldn't. But that's that's what I think is most likely to happen. It'll get done. Well, before we take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, I would like to talk about a few asinine things he said recently. And just take this moment again. He said... He did the pardon because on Friday of Joe Parr because he thought the ratings would be higher. And then I just heard him in another podcast talk about how Congress is ready for a comeback. And I thought, <laughs> again, friendly reminder, this is not a television show. This is real life. The idea that he talks about Congress as if after the commercial break... We're all going to see the new villain in a new light is so frustrating. But I also, at, right after I heard that, it was so angered. Uh, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, did an interview with The Skim, and he had this great quote. He said, it may be surprising to some that he's he's authentic 
and that the person he is on camera in public is very true to the person he is in private. There's a consistency there that one can work with. And I thought, I love it. I think that that is really true, really accurate, and a very smart sort of position to take. I thought that was, you know, he thinks it's a reality show. It's not. How can we work with that? I have two related threads of thought about that one, probably more mature than the other. (laughs) So I'll start with my more mature thread of thought, which is going forward. I've been thinking about how much it matters to me and to, I think, many Americans that our president have a real moral authority and capacity for comforting the nation, scolding the nation, as we discussed after Charlottesville, when it's needed And saying something that you can feel proud of around any kind of difficult event. And the president just seems to have no instinct for that whatsoever. And I was thinking about figures um, like Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton and people that we've talked about before as sort of lacking that it factor that makes people excited about them. Uh, broadly, I understand that some people are very excited about, about with both of those individuals, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and whether how they would perform in instances like this. And I do think that most politicians who get anywhere along the way have that instinct, right? They, they, they're not great at everything and you might not want to hang out with them. But in moments like this, they at least have a good good enough speechwriter and and some ability to stand up and say something we feel good about. And he just doesn't have that. And then my less mature thought about it is he does have such an instinct for television and for storylines. How could he not recognize Mm -hmm. what would make for good TV around his office in a situation like this? Like, Mm -hmm. how could he not have spent time like really on the streets of Houston, like, you know, there was all this coverage about how he met with leadership, but not really with people. He really yeah. didn't get a firsthand account. How could he not even if even if you just say, well, he he is devoid of the kind of compassion and ability to relate to people that would cause him to want that. You'd think he would see it as like, gosh, this really dramatic moment that's going to it's going to be like a season finale kind of moment for him. I don't know. Right. Well, and I think that because I, I think the only television he recognizes is conflict driven television. Yeah. You know what I mean? Point. Like, I don't yeah. think he sees it's not like he understands the power of like the crying at this is us and parenthood. You know what I mean? Like, that's not the kind of television he produces. And so I think that he doesn't understand the power of that. Although, you know, you would think some of the Ivanka moments that he that they put into the convention, he sort of gets that. But I mean, I don't know. I think that I sat next to a couple of gentlemen at a chamber event this morning who were like, just nothing he does is right. He can't get credit for anything. I just think if he'd gone down there, you know, presidents going down there, it's just so much expense and security. And I just wanted out. It was took every cell in my body to be like, really? Because if Obama hadn't met with a single victim, you'd be OK with that. Like, yes, it's expensive, but he doesn't have any problem with spending our money to go play golf. So we shouldn't have any problem with him going to spend our money to present to the country, the leader of our country, meeting with the victims of this horrendous natural disaster and saying, we are all here for you. Like, that's money well spent. Trips to every week into your golf, not so well spent. I agree with you. And if if he is in a conflict-driven mode, which is a really, I think, insightful comment that you just made, 
and he thinks Congress is due for a comeback. I wonder who he thinks the villain's going to be. Well, the media. Because, we already know. We are. I know. Yeah, Ooh, but like, pick how much play can you get out of that? I mean, is there going to be a point Endless? where that's boring? I think that's getting. I mean, I'm bored with it. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, speaking of conflict, we have an interesting conversation about a documentary called Accidental Courtesy, in which a black man goes and makes friends with members of the KKK. But first. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. So I don't know how many people saw, but the preview for Accidental Courtesy sort of made the rounds on Facebook right after Charlottesville. Not surprising. So the movie is about Daryl Davis, a sort of jazz, blues, at one time country pianist, uh, musician. 
and his several decade long quest to individually befriend members of the Ku Klux Klan. And his sort of central tenet is, how can you hate me if you don't know me? So let's, I'd like you to get to know me. And a lot of the movie spends time telling the stories of his relationships with these people. Um, several members over time became friends with Daryl and then abandoned uh, the Ku Klux Klan and then sort of get, as a symbol gave Daryl these, their Ku Klux Klan robes. So he has this sort of extensive collection of Ku Klux Klan memorabilia. Um, he wrote a book. It's very, he goes around, and talks about it. So, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this dude is doing what we talk about on fancy politics all the time. Like he's going out and he's talking to people from quote unquote, the other side. And, you know, I think that there were some really great moments when he talks to these people. He talks about like, he like paid for some children of a Ku Klux Klan member to visit their father in prison. And, um, I think there's a lot of compassion. He had a very interesting childhood. He grew up, um, his Parents were members of the Foreign Service, so he grew up abroad and was did not really encounter firsthand um, our, our unique brand of American racism until he was older, which I think impacts sort of his view and his perspective. To what he does, um, I thought the most insightful comment was he met with a, a guy from the Southern Poverty Law Center who was, you could tell, kind of frustrated with him. But he said, the guy said, you do... Retail, I do wholesale. You're trying to turn them one by one. I want to shut them down completely. And I thought that was like a great way to put it. Like, I, I think there is a problem with the idea that like it sort of perpetuates the narrative that racism is an individual heart problem. Like everybody just needs to work on themselves when racism is a systematic problem a society, at a societal level. And that is, you know, I think where the the most impactful work can be done. But that's not to say that I don't think that there is importance in the individual relationships that he reaches out and does. So that's the first thing I want to talk about. And then I want to talk about his conversation with the Black Lives Matter. So what did you think about sort of his approach overall, Beth? I don't know how to feel about this. Um, in response to what you just said about the about racism as a societal and cultural and institutional thing versus at the individual level, I think what this did clarify for me, because I've, I've heard you say that many times now, and I always really absorb it, and I think there's so much truth in it. And I think this really clarified for me that while we certainly all harbor some unconscious bias, and we are all certainly living in a racist system in many ways, what you then do with that becomes an individual decision and and I do think I thought the comments from one of the Klansmen who ultimately disavowed the Klan and now does work around these topics clarified is that there's also a level of this that becomes more about like addiction and group mm. identity. And and at some point, it's not as much about racism. And, and I think he highlights that throughout because then a lot of these guys really start to respect him and attend his wedding to his white bride. Mm -hmm. And and they do you you can see that it really isn't about skin color so much as the costumes and the hierarchy and the titles and the sense of belonging to something that has a purpose larger than oneself. Yeah, they're just a gang. It, That's all they are. It is a gang, right? And 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 or a cult, or or yeah, any kind of psychological affiliation that that stems into an unhealthy place. So I think I got that clarity from watching this. I mean, I I obviously love the idea of let's sit down one on one and get to know each other as people and see where we get. Mm -hmm. Clearly, I am in favor of that. 
I kept thinking as I was watching it, I don't know how I would feel about this if I were a person of color. I really don't know how I'd feel about this if I were Jewish. I'm starting as I read and learn more about white supremacy. I had no idea the depth of anti-Semitism oh, that yeah. runs through that. And so I, I just, I just tried to watch it without any judgment and, and take it in and learn what I could learn from the successful conversations that he had. And then I think you were going to go into the less than successful conversation. Oh, next. So I think the best hands down sort of best, most impactful, interesting part of this documentary is he goes to Baltimore and this seems uh, in time, I think very close to sort of this, the start of the black lives matter movement and sort of um, Freddie Gray, I think it just happened. I, I, they don't put you exactly in time when they were, but very close. So he sits down in Baltimore with two black lives matter activists Kwame Rose, who is 21, he's a college dropout, and he had, had sort of a moment with Geraldo Rivera on YouTube um, during these these protests, and Tarek Tor, a poet and um, writer within the Black Lives Matter movement. So the the conversation is very intense, um, very emotional, which I think is fine. I'm not using that as an insult. And clearly I started this podcast basically weeping. And, you know, the two Black Lives Matter activists are basically one of them calls him a pimp in the pulpit, which was pretty intense. And he, their their argument is basically like, you're not doing anything. You're not helping actual black people. You are you do this because you get attention. And for a lot of what they're saying, I was nodding. I was like, I don't disagree with you. I think some of this is. You know, he likes being the guy that goes on the talk shows and talks about the he likes writing a book. He likes having a documentary made about him. And I think the paradox is I think he also sincerely believes he's doing good and that he has relationships with these people. And he does. So, you know, but I thought that sort of they're like, you're not on the streets. You're not actually helping people. Um and he takes a very Daryl Davis takes a very low dig and says something like this from a college dropout, which is really nasty and totally unnecessary to like sort of imply like you can't contribute because you're a college dropout, which, of course, then Kwame Rose is like, really? Because Steve Jobs was a college dropout. And so is Bill Gates. And they seem to be doing fine. And they both are just like, won't shake his hand. They leave. They feel disrespected. And then an older Black Lives Matter activist comes up and is like, I mean, he's shaking. He's so mad. He's like, I can't believe you disrespected these to guys who are getting arrested, who are getting beaten by the cops, who are out here sort of on the front lines. And, you know, their argument is we need black businesses. We are excluded from the economy in this country. If you are not a, if you are not a part of the economy, you cannot be a part of the country, really. And we need our own black owned businesses. And it's just really interesting because I just watched this on the heels of finishing uh, Joshua Davis's book from head shops to Whole Foods, which is about activists. And he does a whole chapter, uh, activist entrepreneurs, and he does a whole chapter on black owned bookstores. And I'm hoping to have a conversation with him soon. But um, so I thought that argument was very interesting. But they also said something that really bothered me, which was basically like, you know, why people can't change and you shouldn't even bother. And I think what their really point was white supremacy or p there's no point trying to build relationships with people who don't look like me. I think they use the phrase people who don't look like me. And, you know, 
I'm not, I just thought that was so intense. I also thought this conversation between these two sort of mirrored a bigger conversation I see in my own community between um, the black clergy and a more um, traditional approach. The black community has taken sort of historically to social change and a new generation of black lives matter activists who really want to disrupt that. And I thought that was reflected in the conversation. I just thought it was so interesting and important. What did you think on the economic front in between the exchange of insults at one point, Daryl, the the person at the center of this documentary who sits down with clans, people said, you sound like Donald Trump because you're talking about separation. When you talk about building mm-hmm. these institutions for black people and, and, and a separate economy, you're talking about segregation, really. And I thought that part of the discussion could have been really interesting and fruitful. It just didn't get there mm-hmm. because the rest of it was so charged. And to, you know, our, and to our previous point we made, the response from the activists is, I like Donald Trump because I know where he stands. He's not, I know exactly where, what he is. And I don't have to worry about a wolf in sheep's clothing like Hillary Clinton, which obviously I disagree with that comment about Hillary Clinton. But I thought the comment about, like, I think there was a sense after the election from the black community of like, why are y'all surprised? He showed us who we are. We knew he was going to win. Like they were sort of making the Justin Trudeau point long, long ago. And I thought that was, Really interesting. Unfortunately, then he said, oh, it was so painful to hear. I don't vote. I'm not going to vote. It's a privilege that I reject because I don't want to participate in the process, which was really heartbreaking to me. Um, And, you know, while I can understand, I'm not going to reject out of hand as ignorant that position because I don't think that's true. It was heartbreaking to hear. And I just wanted to be like, no, (laughs) no, you live in Maryland. Like, no, please come on. But it was it was again. Sorry. Go ahead. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable thanks to third love you can have both third love was started to take all the frustration ick and out of bra shopping that's why they make solutions for every bra problem aka problems their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school get smoothing you know where and have straps that actually stay put Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, 
Whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. There was a lot in what the activists had to say that I would love to sit down and hear more from them and talk more about and ask questions about for hours. Yeah. So I could have spent a long time with those two guys. And and some of my overall reaction to this documentary was how much I wish that you and I, Sarah, could just start traveling around the country and talking to people and listening to them. Mm-hmm. Because I do really I, – I don't want to spend that time with the Klan. That is not my work to do. No. But uh, but the Black Lives Matter activists and some other people along the way, I thought, gosh, I would really learn a lot and enjoy listening to this conversation. You know, as far as his approach, my big takeaway was just that uh, we we sure are all people with all of the flaws that that come wrapped up in that. And I was happy that the producers of this documentary chose to show him not as just a saint mm-hmm. you know they could have cut this footage yeah. and and i thought it was good that they showed that he he is equipped for some work and not for other work and and that's okay um, again and, back to the other point <laughs> well and that look a hard truth is that a lot of people who can do really amazing work in the world do have enormous egos and they wouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to do what they do if they didn't have those egos. Right. And is his collection of clan memorabilia kind of a weird fetish? Maybe I'll still take it with what he's accomplished. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think he's accomplished things. Now, are those the kinds of accomplishments that everybody's going to value? They aren't, but that's why we need lots of us doing lots of different things. So I liked that it added to the complexity and that it showed that, like, look, people come in really difficult packages. There's not going to be a story of someone that is unblemished from all perspectives. And that is okay. That seems like um, an interesting segue into some comments we got about the Confederate monuments. (laughs) People are complicated packages. We had Nancy who emailed you. And she also made a comment on the conservative uh, or Confederate monuments. And I just want to clarify one more time. 
that the problem with the Confederate monuments is not that they are slave owners. Everyone recognizes that many of our beginning presidents and founding fathers were slave owners. But the principal legacy of these people are not that they were slave owners, it's that they wrote the Declaration of Independence or they um, successfully read the Revolutionary War. But the principal legacy of Confederates is that they fought to keep people enslaved. So and they fought for the right to have slavery. That's their principal legacy. That's the problem we have. Um, Just for clarification purposes, that argument really frustrates me. And she also had some thoughts for you. Yeah, I really appreciated hearing from Nancy because she wrote to me and I I felt an open-hearted and earnest way. I did not feel attacked by her messages, but she said that she was frustrated with me because it seems like I have just adopted the position of the left on everything. And she specifically had that comment in reference to the Confederate monument discussion that we had. And I guess here's what I want to say about that. You know, we all have to define our politics for ourselves, and I am not going to define conservative or right of center as oppositional to where Sarah is on things. And and that's the first thing, really, the, the very first thing. I don't sit down in these conversations and think of Sarah as the left. I recognize that you, Sarah, are left-leaning, but I don't sit here thinking, well, I'm going to be the right and you're going to be the left in this discussion. Mm -hmm. I think that that's actually the opposite of what we've been trying to do since we started doing this. And I also think when I look at a conversation about monuments, to me, this is more of a human issue and less of a political issue. The political aspect of it, where I am a conservative, I'm not looking for the United States Congress to pass legislation outlawing all Confederate monuments. I think those are cultural conversations that need to take place at the community and state level. And so that's the conservative position as I see it on this topic. Whether I'm going to advocate for the preservation of those monuments or not, I see that as much more about like what your human to human values are than your politics. I think it's painful for people probably to hear that I don't think Congress should pass that law because there are people who are in that space, right? And and we've talked on the podcast, Sarah, about you think, thinking about the First Amendment and how far should it extend in, in terms of Nazi um, symbolism. So I'm not on the side of Congress passing a law that says the swastikas are not covered by the First Amendment. But I also want to use my voice in this platform to say that the existence of a right doesn't mean that exercising that right is wise. Mm. And culturally, I am squarely in the seat of where we have symbols in our communities that hurt our neighbors. I am ready to put those symbols away. Amen to that. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Briefcase. As always, we have to thank our executive producer, my husband, Nicholas, Tracy, Leslie, and Sabrina. You can follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter at Pantsuit Politic, and on Instagram. And if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Pantsuit Politics or leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. As always, keep it nuanced, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>